Hi, I'm Trevor Elio. And I'm Julie Stern, and this is Conceptually Speaking, the show where we interview experts to uncover the concepts and patterns that help us organize our world. From farming to fashion, we can understand any field through acquiring, organizing, and transferring conceptual relationships. We hope this podcast will inspire teachers and students to design creative solutions to complex problems and accelerate innovation in today's schools. If you're interested in our work, you can find out more at edtosavetheworld.com. Our guest this week is writer and entrepreneur, Chloe Valdery. Chloe has written for outlets like The New York Times, USA Today, and Psychology Today. Although those labels describe what she does and has achieved, Chloe's the type of guest who doesn't easily fit into boxes or categories. In fact, one of her creative strengths is the ability to grapple with the paradox and cognitive dissonance that's such an integral part of modern life. Her social-emotional program and startup venture, The Theory of Enchantment, is an incredible mashup of pop culture, psychology, and philosophy that treats the complexities of the human condition with the nuance it deserves. I haven't seen many programs that balance accessibility, entertainment, and a deeply moving message as well as hers does. In this episode, we'll discuss the relationship between self-knowledge, criticism, and love. Though each one of these is a vital part of Chloe's theory of enchantment, we spend a lot of time discussing the concept of love. Chloe specifically taps into the legacies of Martin Luther King, Maya Angelou, and James Baldwin, the challenge and complicated understanding of a powerful idea that is too often dismissed as trite or cliche. Understand that if you understand the nature of the self, then you root your criticism in a good intention um, to, to build up people because you know that that's what you need as well, right, as a human being. And so once you understand that that's what you need, you can understand that that's what other people need also. And then the third principle is root everything you do in love and compassion, which is where the theme of love come, comes in. And really the theory of enchantment is ultimately a practice in love that teaches students how to practice the art of love, which, which hasn't been systematically, in an educational context, in a pedagogical context, hasn't really been systematically articulated in any, in any way that I've seen. As you can likely already tell, this is going to be a powerful episode. Chloe is wise beyond her years, and Julie and I are still talking about the perspective and insight she provided in this conversation. We hope you enjoy it as much as we did. Our guest today is Chloe Valdery, an entrepreneur and founder of Theory of Enchantments, an SEO program aimed at helping kids explore the human condition, build character, and develop resiliency. Welcome, Chloe. We're excited to have you. Thank you for inviting me. Chloe, can you talk to us a little bit about what is the Theory of Enchantment? Sure. So the Theory of Enchantment is my startup, and it's a social-emotional learning course that I designed that you know is all about teaching individuals ages really 14 and up so teenagers and adults um, how to develop character how to navigate the human condition given how difficult it is and given how wrought with challenges um, it is um, and also to you know develop virtue and and develop the tools for resiliency which is really tools to be able to not only survive in this very difficult thing that we know as life, uh, but to thrive ultimately. Um, and the, and what I really love about this course is that it uses pop culture, um, as a, as a sort of pedagogical approach. Uh, and, and what's cool about that is what it's saying to the student, especially young students, um, is it's affirming a lot of their interests, right? Because a lot of young students engage in pop culture outside of the classroom, right? They might, you know, watch certain movies or listen to certain music as a, as a form of escapism or as a form of entertainment. And so what this course does is essentially says to those kids, like, actually what you're, a lot of what you're gravitating towards is very important and can teach you important things and important life skills. And so it's critical that you pay attention to why you're paying attention to the things that you're paying attention to. Um, and you, it's important that you ask critical questions about you know, maybe this Disney movie that I'm obsessed with, maybe I'm obsessed with it for a reason. And maybe there's something that it can teach me about myself and about how to navigate life. No, that's, that's awesome. And one of the reasons I was excited to have you on and, and kind of an intersection that I see between both of our bodies of work is I kind of have a big sticking point with the way that uh, academic curriculum is laid out. It takes what students know about themselves in the world and it's sort of over here in this informational neighborhood. And then what they learn in school is over here. And mm -hmm. there aren't enough programs, there's not enough pedagogy that, that really capitalizes on what students know. Uh, 
mm-hmm. and what they learn outside of the halls of their school and integrate it in order to you know build their schema and, and allow them to navigate the world in more complex ways. So I, I love that you that's kind of the bread and butter of your course is, is mm-hmm. helping take things that students already are engaging in and get them to reframe them and think about them in a deeper way. So what kind of inspired you to take pop culture and sort of uh, elevate it to this next plane of thinking about how it can really help us grapple with these deep concepts? Yeah, that's a good question. I, um, I've always been strangely obsessed with pop culture, <laughs> like writ large. Um, before this was my passion, my, you know, my major was international studies. And so I was involved in really trying to, to cause and bring forth conflict resolution. Um, but before that, my passion was actually film and screenwriting. So I've always been interested in the power of the story, the power of narratives and of meta narratives uh, to inspire people to, to change and to grow and to, and to realize their full potential. Um, so, you know, I think because of that, because of how I've always gravitated toward that, I've always been uh, attuned to certain pop culture elements that teach the meta story of human potential. So like Nike, for example, is a prominent company that does this. Um, and I think it's why so many people are obsessed with Nike, even if they don't necessarily realize that that's why they're obsessed with it, right? It's basically hacking our psychology and our sense of, our sense of, our belief or our need to believe uh, that we are capable of achieving more. So I've always been, you know, attracted to that kind of story, whether it's in a cinematic uh, expression or whether it's in a manifested in a company or a singer songwriter like Beyonce. I'm interested, I've always been interested in understanding this, how that story works, unpacking how that story works, what are the elements of that story, right? And this goes back to screenwriting. Uh, this is where my, my, my screenwriting hat comes on. Um, and so I think that's probably the seed, that's where it comes from. And then just being able to really, really say, oh, how can I take the stories that we already know and love and again, use it in a very explicit way to teach people how to maximize their full potential. Um, but it comes ultimately from that love of, you know, there are certain trailers that I've, or certain pieces of, of, of movie trailers that I've like committed to memory just because it's ultimately telling the story of human potential. And that's how much it like resonates with me. So like, for example, I don't know if you've seen uh, when Man of Steel came out a few years ago. Um, I, I, I wasn't obsessed with the movie itself, but the trailer was so <laughs> powerful and the trailer was so impactful and the movie was good too. But I, I just remember in the trailer, basically uh, Superman's father is sending him to earth as an infant. And the voiceover is, you will give the people an ideal to strive towards. They will falter, they will fall, but in time they will join you in the sun. And I just remember the first time I saw that, that that just gave me chills. And I'm like, Mm. yes, (laughs) you know, I was like so excited. So, you know, I've always gravitated toward those stories. And Theory of Enchantment is really an attempt to curate as many of those stories as possible to sort of remind people of how, of how much potential they have. I love that. And so can you talk a little bit about the, the intersection between sort of, sort of like this personal Mm-hmm. Uh, I can, you know, I'm just thinking of Nike and even this yeah. story you just shared with Superman. Um, that and how does that translate to the social emotional piece? So, like this hero, individual hero versus like how I treat how I, how I treat others. Yeah, I think I think that this goes to a, a critical sort of idea that I teach in the theory of enchantment, which is the notion that you can't be in a healthy relationship with others unless you first have a healthy relationship with yourself. And so the, the story of the hero's journey, I think, embedded in that story is this idea of self-worth. And it's important that students understand, that, understand their own self-worth and have a sense of self-worth first, uh, which is why the first third of Theory of Enchantment coursework is all about teaching students how to understand themselves and to study themselves in order to then become comfortable with themselves and love themselves so then they can go out into the world as, as role models and as responsible human beings because a lot of conflict and a lot of problems arise, and I've seen this in my research, it, on an interpersonal level, uh, when students or when people in general uh, um, aren't comfortable with their imperfections or aren't comfortable with their insecurities, and then they overcompensate for their insecurities by taking it out on other people. Um, so, I, so from a social emotional learning perspective, if students can become 
aware of themselves, become comfortable with themselves, make peace within themselves, um, and, and see themselves as the, as the hero of their own stories, essentially. Um, they'll be able to, I think, navigate the world better, have better relationships with others, be able to deal with conflict in a much more holistic and healthy way. So one thing, one thing leads to the other. I love that. And so it's, it reminds me of your New York Times uh, piece that you wrote oh, yeah. that I read. That I love. That's where I learned you were from Louisiana. Um, it, you know, I, there was a, a line you had in there is very similar to a previous guest we had on this podcast, Jody, Dr. Jody Carrington, who said, who's a, who's a child psychologist, but she said, hurt people, hurt yes. people. Yes. And you have a very similar line in there. So I'm glad that came up um, sort of immediately in our conversation together. And we always ask our guests, you already touched on the first one, but just for our listeners, because they know kind of the, the, the rhythm of our podcast to share three words. So if we think about your field as sort of social emotional learning, yeah. um, what are the three words you came up with? So you, could, do you mind sharing those for our, for our listeners? Yeah, so the first, I guess, would be the self um, or, or self-knowledge. Uh, criticism would be the second one and love would be the third one. Mm, I love that it goes self-knowledge, criticism, love. Yes, almost in. The, I don't know if it, I don't know if it's supposed to be linear. Or you're just picking three. We don't tell of, yet. Actually, uh, it actually is kind. Of, yeah, that is how it's laid out in the course in the coursework. So okay, tell us about yeah. self-knowledge yeah. To, to criticism. That, that I'm super interested. Well, so this goes back to your point about hurt people hurting people, and this is something that not enough like most people don't understand this in my experience. Like most people really don't fundamentally understand haven't, haven't yet internalized this basic fact about human beings and human nature. Um, and so the way in which purpose of or knowledge of the self leads to criticism uh, or at least to understanding the way in which criticism should be doled out when necessary is if you know, for example, that let's say I understand myself and I understand that when I'm um, feeling insecure, right, uh, I might start acting defensive. Let's, let's just say that I know that about myself. It could be that I'm interacting with another person and that person is also acting defensive with me. Let's say there's a random scenario where they're acting defensively with me and I don't know why I didn't do anything in my mind to offend them or you know, to cause them harm, but they're acting defensive and I can't quite, fi- I can't figure out why. Um, I can begin to ask myself, well, wait a minute. I know that when I am acting defensive, I am into feeling insecure. So could it possibly be that this person who's acting defensive with me is feeling insecure? And then, so why are they feeling insecure? How can I, how can I respond to their behavior? Which is b- very bothersome to me, right? Still like they're, they're acting defensively with me for no reason but how can I respond or criticize that behavior in a way that is also aware enough of the lack that it, that, that behavior is coming from that lack within that is informing that behavior. Right. And so in the, um, so, so the three words that I chose, the three themes um, for this conversation are based upon the three principles of the theory of enchantment. So the first principle is all about uh, treating people as human beings, not as political abstractions. So you have to, you have to understand the self if you have to, if you are going to treat people like human beings, you have to actually know what it means to be human, right? Um, the second principle is criticize to uplift and empower, never to tear down, never to destroy. Um, and again, that's about understanding, if you understand the nature of the self, then you root your criticism in a good intention um, to, to build up people because you know that that's what you need as well right, as a human being. And so once you understand that that's what you need, you can understand that that's what other people need also. And then the third principle is everything you do in love and compassion, which is where the theme of love come, comes in. And really the theory of enchantment is ultimately a practice in love that teaches students how to practice the art of love, which, which hasn't been systematically, in an educational context, in a pedagogical context, hasn't really been systematically articulated in any, in any way that I've seen. So what I love about that is you define love as a practice. And a lot yes. of the SEL tools that I see are like how to manage your emotions, how to cope <laughs> with your emotions, right? Um, how to track your emotions. But, but really what yeah. you're, it seems like your work is doing is it's, it's anchoring it in this deeper practice where right. you're really actually examining those emotions 
figuring mm -hmm. out where they, they came from and really grappling with them. And I love that narrative is sort of a tool or heuristic that you can give kids to navigate that because that's complicated stuff. And, yeah. and grappling with those emotions devoid of any wider framework to give it direction and context and a sense of like, this isn't completely foreign, I think yeah. is, is incredibly helpful. And you know what's crazy about what you just said? What you just said perfectly describes many elements of hip hop, right? So you can you can imagine how this would like lead to in, including hip hop, and there's a great deal of hip hop in in a course like this that would teach that would use narratives that people are already engaging with, especially if you're talking about artists like Kendrick Lamar and Jay Z, for example. Uh, who who do just that, who explore emotional ranges in their music and explore the importance of being able to to not let your emotions overtake you, right? But but ultimately, you cannot have the goal of managing your emotions unless, or the, the strategy or the tactic of managing your emotions unless it's rooted in some goal or in some moral ethic. Like, what is it that we're aiming toward? What's, what's, what vision are we trying to move towards? So yeah, I totally agree. How important is that idea of, um, I guess, uh, Bell Hooks calls it like an ethic of, of love, as mm -hmm. opposed to when I think about a lot of like SEL um, management techniques I see, it's, it's all about like happiness, which has sort okay. of become this like abstract That's not work. idea. Exactly. So <laughs> Did they not watch Inside about... Out? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, maybe that, that's, a, that's a great example. Could you talk a little bit about why that's such a, a powerful um, kind of transcendent idea is that, that ethic of love and rooting that journey in love? Uh, well, how much time do you have? I mean, I think, <laughs> I, think that the, I think that love is a better goal than happiness because first of all, life is full of sorrow and full of suffering. And you have to be able to really um, be honest about that uh, and, and be able to, and the, the better that you are at grappling with that and, and navigating that as opposed to trying to deny that, um, the better you'll be, the more resilience you'll have, the more grit you'll have in the long run. Um, but I think love is also the more transcendent aim um, because it imbues students with a greater sense of strength and empathy, both for themselves and for their peers um, and for their neighbors and for their enemies, which we can talk about a little bit about later if you'd like. Um, and that that love, I think, will actually be more sustaining than happiness because you're not going to be happy all the time nor should you want to be happy all the time uh yeah. for the record but um but you're not going to be happy all the time like like life is full of many ups and downs and i think love is a better um anchor with which one can navigate those turb turbulent waters i don't think i mean if, if happiness is the goal then you've already lost because mm -hmm. the first time mm -hmm. you come up against uh something that's devastating or that's mm -hmm. sad and this is this is what inside out teaches us right and mm -hmm. i teach inside out in the theory of enchantment coursework like the beauty the beauty of inside out was that it demonstrated that like sorrow sadness is not something that you're supposed to try to suppress or try to you know, ignore, or try to avoid at all costs. Like sorrow is actually necessary for happiness. Um, if you remember the end of Inside Out when Riley uh, almost like runs away, but then she comes back. Um, so if you recall, Riley has to experience sitting with her sadness, right? She was constantly trying to run away from it. She's constantly trying to escape it but she actually has to learn how to sit with it and be with it and be okay with it. And that paves the way that is actually what makes happiness possible. And there's a beautiful scene where that's clearly articulated where she right, like right after she runs into her parents' arms um, and starts crying, like there's a, there's a scene where she sort of like stops crying and she's safe and she's happy. And mm -hmm. that's what happiness right. is. Happiness yeah. is not necessarily the absence of sadness. Um, mm. But I think, but I think uh, the ability to deal with sadness in a, mm. in a healthy way and in a loving way. So. Could you sort of unpack love, uh, if you don't mind? Like, what is it? What does it mean to you? <laughs> just, a, just a shallow question for you, Chloe. Uh, what is love? <laughs> you know, I just, I'm, I'm reminded of, of, I watched the Mr. Rogers documentary and, you know, he says that love, yeah. he thinks love or lack of it is the root of, of everything. Um, yeah. And, and I've just been, I've personally been sort of pondering that, like, mm, 
I don't quite, I don't quite <laughs> grasp it. I just, I don't, I don't agree. I, I think I'm missing something in my brain about yeah. like love being the solution to everything. Um, so can yeah. you, can what can you tell us about love? It's a great question. Um, I'm just trying to figure out how to answer it in a way that is succinct. Um, and I think for me, love is like the belief that every human being has intrinsic worth and, and a sense of dignity, uh, regardless of any other, any factors, any qualifying factors, right? So like regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of socioeconomic status, regardless of sexual orientation, etc. like, that at the root of it, of us all, there is an innate um, sacredness that that we have. That's that. There's an innate preciousness that we all have simply by virtue of being human, um, and that which makes us. I mean, I'm sort of saying what makes us worthy of love, um, but it's related to how I think of love as well. I love that. I mean, now now I'm so with you. I'm with you and Mr. Rogers. Um, but like, yeah, because I think that the concept of worthiness is enormous. And I think, yeah. I think like you said, I totally agree that the average person is it, it does not automatically tie aggressive behavior with a sort of lack of self feeling of worthiness. Yes. Um, and and I think I'm so with you. I have two young kids, and I try really hard to just our our little daily chats. Um, mm -hmm. You know, to to really help them to see that when you feel worthy enough. Mm -hmm. You can, you can, I, I, I say strong hearted, you can be strong hearted. Mm -hmm. And so I sort of contrast strong heartedness with weak heartedness um, <laughs> because, because sometimes it's hard when you're, I mean, they're four and six, yeah. um, but you see, you see what you see play out with them. You see play out so much in the world with adults. You see it in adults. Yeah. Right. With, with conflict. Yeah. And when you have conflict, you know, they're both going in, of course, because we're all kind of confined to our homes and we're, <laughs> like we've yeah. only hung out with each other for like the last three months. Um, um, and so, of course, they're driving each other bonkers. But like, you know, they're in this thing now where they're like, yes, I did. No, I didn't. Yes, I did. No, I didn't. No, yes, I did. And it takes a strong heart. It takes a yeah. strong character to be like, I'm just going to stop. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to stop. The, <laughs> yeah. the yes, I did. No, I didn't. Um, and how how much does that speak to adult conflicts? Uh, uh, it, takes mean, a, it takes a strong heart to say, I'm going to stop. I'm going to be the first to stop. It's so much exacerbated on an adult level because first of all, we forget like everything that you're saying about how, you know, young kids behavior is a hundred percent evident in, in, in many uh, adults behaviors and the way, in the way that we as adults act. But so many people don't know this at all. And it's so much more of a deeper issue because it's 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 much more impact when you're an adult and you're acting like this right when you're like not able to to transcend and to have strong uh strong heartedness and, and be able to to say you know what i'm gonna i'm, I'm gonna head out you know so yeah i mean it unfortunately doesn't translate which is why i think it's important to get sel programs like theory of enchantment into certainly the high school system um or as early as possible so that so that we as a society begin to think about the inner depth of things. We're not walking around thinking about the inner depth of things. We're only thinking about what's on the surface, what's, what superficially is informing uh, people's behavior. Like most people on average don't think to themselves that people who are showing signs of like, let's say hyper-aggressiveness toward another individual that's of a nefarious nature are like nine times out of 10 suffering from a lack of a sense of self-worth. Like people don't, people don't connect those dots enough. It does sort of seem like we're not, right now we're in a time where, where people are sort of engaging in this, in this narrative warfare where they're looking not to be curious and understand another perspective, but they're looking for further evidence or proof that their yeah. belief or their narrative is actually the one true belief that one we sh that we should all be following. And um, which is I ironic, right? Because I could argue that that also is an indication of feeling of lack of self some some <laughs> yes right why do they need that narrative some, some right why do you need that validation mm -hmm. like if yeah. you are comfortable in your ideas and if you're comfortable in your ideas then your ideas can be challenged you're not you're not threatened by challenge but if you're not comfortable you know 
could you talk to us about, because it, it's kind of sounds like what we're talking about is, you know, it, it, in some cases, there are things in the world that need to be criticized. But the yeah, way that definitely. we engage in that criticism um, to the, the point of your second concept is, is really important. So can you kind of unpack what, uh, what's the relationship between um, those two concepts of so, love and criticism? Yeah, so this is a great question. So I'd love to tell this quote by Maya Angelou or quote Maya Angelou uh, who talks about, who, who really brings up something interesting when it comes to like understanding the human psyche. Uh, so one of her quotes is, that if you tell someone over and over again they are nothing, that they are less than nothing, that they count for nothing, they will say to you, oh, you think I am nothing? I will show you where nothing comes. And then they will become even worse than how you have accused them of being. And the moral of the story is that a person cannot develop character unless they are valued. Now you can imagine that if you come across someone who's engaging in bad behavior, there's, a, there's, there's arguably, you're, you would arguably be morally justified in cursing that person out and in the way you like that using that as a form of criticism like right just cursing them out and saying they're nothing they're never going to be anything that they did this stupid thing once again they're always going to be stupid you know but that's a problem <laughs> because that kind of criticism um is a problem because it actually reinforces the kind of behavior that you're trying to stop um because it what it does is it shows up a mirror to the person engaged in that bad behavior and it says you're bad, you will only ever be bad, you can never be good, and you have to give people the space to be good. You have to, you have to give people, you cannot persuade someone to change unless you believe in their capacity to change. So if you don't believe in their capacity to change and you're just yelling at them and telling them about how, how horrible a person they are that, and that they will never accomplish anything, um, then you're not really engaging in, in purposeful, goal-oriented criticism. You're just venting and letting off steam and you feel validated and being able to say oh look look at me i'm i'm better than you but one of the the reasons why i teach the study of the self first is so that students come to understand that they too are capable of doing the things that they that they rightfully criticize others for doing right we all have the capacity to do good and to do evil um, and that's an important that's an important recognition because what it does is it means that when you go out and criticize someone, you'll be more likely to, to do so fully aware of the fact that you believe in their capacity to change. If I've done my job right with theory of enchantment, um, mm -hmm. but also fully aware of the fact that you, just as you are criticizing this person for their behavior, uh, be on guard that you too are capable of engaging in this behavior as well. And make sure that just as you pointed out, you don't fall in the trap of doing that. Um, because you find yourself thinking that you're holier than thou, than that person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. More worthy, more deserve, more dignity. Exactly. Um, I love that. I love that you use the word sacredness and preciousness uh, as yeah. as well. Uh, I love those all of those those four words together. How does yeah. the online space that we sort of engaged in these conversations in exacerbate? I guess some of the problems that you were laying out, right? Because it's a, it's occurring in this yeah. contextual and this relational void, mm. and you know we might follow the people that we you know are engaged with on social media, but we might not know them outside of this weird world yeah. where everything's sort of mediated by the images that we see and the language that we use, and there's sort of just like this opaque nature to the way that we talk to each other. Um, so, how do you think you know uh, the online? discourse affects some of or makes it more difficult to do the type of criticism you're talking about. Yeah, no, it's definitely very hard. Online mediums often have an atomizing effect on human beings. And so we're, we find ourselves, like you said, mediated by a thing as opposed to just being in relationship with each other directly. And this is, this is a problem that philosophers have been talking about for a very long time. You know, uh, if you're familiar with Max Weber, who discussed like, the potential uh, deleterious effects of of this the kind of I guess you could call it a slightly hyper commodified society that we live in, um, and and some of that some of that is sort of exacerbated I think by you know the fact that we are oftentimes engaging with each other with each other on screen especially because of COVID nineteen and not in person. On the one hand, I do think that like when COVID nineteen hit, social media actually became maybe for the first time, 
precisely what it was supposed to be <laughs> because now because yeah. now people were actually really trying to seriously engage with people like i was speaking on the phone longer i was facetiming my friends longer um so in that sense i think the medium was a good facil facilitator for actual connection but at the same time i think in the long term nothing can really replace you know that face-to-face -face kind of engagement um educational experience and so and so yeah that's just that's something we have to deal with and of course when you're talking about people constantly commenting on social media platforms, let's say like on controversial posts, for example, they're not really engaging with people, they're engaging with text on the screen, they're engaging with images on the screen. And so it's super easy to abstract a person in that kind of exchange because it is an abstraction. You're not directly engaging with a, a human being. Um, and I, I think that's a problem, but I think part of the way to solve that problem is to make more and more people aware of it because most people aren't even aware of that dynamic going on when they're engaging on social media so the more we can as you know educators and especially as individuals interested in instructional design the more we can um the more we can like just make people more aware of the fact that the person on the other side of the screen is a human being even even though there's this sort of like illusion that they're not because <laughs> you're only looking at text <laughs> um I think that hopefully we will be able to get people to think twice about the way they speak, the way they uh, choose to articulate their positions. Um, also, people need to depersonalize social media. I think, I think sometimes things get heated on social media because, again, this goes back to the sense of self-worth piece that is at the heart of a lot of these, the lack of that feeling is at the heart of a lot of these problems. Like, people feel so much like their sense of self-worth or their worthiness is contingent upon them being able to successfully argue X or argue Y. Um, and that is silly. Um, <laughs> um, but that leads to all kinds of problems because the, the fervor with which you will argue for something, if you think that your, and your sense of dignity is based upon whether or not you can, you can successfully argue that, like the likelihood of that fervor increasing in that case and the likelihood of hostility and aggression increasing in that case becomes far higher. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if uh, we can return to uh, this idea of criticizing with, uh, with the intent to uplift and empower, mm -hmm. um, to go at it, you say go at it with good intentions and to build up. I'm of course thinking about that from the perspective of a mom. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about most of our listeners are our teachers and they give feedback um, to their students regularly. Uh, mm -hmm. So I don't know if you want to give it, give it from that perspective of any tips for teachers on like how to criticize uh, can you tell us just a little bit more about how, maybe about how your program teaches yeah. children or students to criticize with the purpose of uplifting and empowering? What does that look like? What are good tips? So I teach appreciative inquiry, which was a concept that was developed, I believe, by two psychologists um, decades ago. Uh, and the idea of appreciative inquiry is practicing certain principles um, and a certain kind of curiosity um, in asking questions when being critical toward a person. Um, and I think, I think that the advice that I would give to teachers specifically uh, when it comes to like getting, a, not getting along with their students, but understanding what's going on with their students is just to be aware that like, if a student is acting out in the classroom, um, it, you have to keep in mind that it, you have to depersonalize it. Again, this is the part of, this is, this goes back to what I said a couple minutes ago about depersonalizing it, meaning it has nothing to do with you. It has something to do with the student. Something's going on in their life. Some, some weird baggage or stress that they have now brought into the classroom. So you have to depersonalize it. And I say that because I unfortunately know and have heard of horror stories of teachers that have just responded just totally in the wrong in the wrong way that has like has like made the problem worse so depersonalize it if a, if a student is is you know maybe raising their voice i would and this is hard it takes practice also i would i would suggest meditating as well for this but do not i would say do not like try to get into a shouting match with a student right like teach your role model for for the student um there's a great 
thing that someone, a mentor of mine taught me that like young people are looking towards you for guidance, whether you want them to look towards you for guidance or not. They're looking toward the adults for role models and as role models. And so whatever behavior you exhibit, whether it's in the classroom or on the street, students are going to, young people are going to emulate that and imitate that because what else are they going to do, right? So, so don't try to get into a shouting match with the student, let the student know very straightforward that their behaviors, that the behavior that they're engaging in is unacceptable, but tell them also keep in mind or reassure them that the reason why you're telling them that it's unacceptable is because you care about them. It's because you care about their sense of well-being, and it's because you care about their worth because it's also a possibility that this student has experienced disciplinary action that was not healthy, that was punitive. And so now that student might associate disciplinarian activity only with punitive activity or only with the negative. So you have, as a teacher, have to model a different kind of disciplinary action that reassures the student and, and, and again, indicates to the student that what you're doing, you're doing for that person's well-being. You're doing because you believe in that person. Um, and, and, and this is why you're ultimately telling them to change because the, you're giving them wise counsel, right? It's not That's because right. you're trying mm-hmm. to, to harm them. And again, and you know, it's impossible to know this. You have no idea what's going on in the student's life once they leave the classroom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. I think that there, you're reminding me of the story of, I, I always tell me, Trevor, if I need to stop sharing stories about my kids, but uh, my, my four-year <laughs> My four-year-olds, I try to do that. I try to say, like, the reason why we want it. So they're really into this TV show where you talk about pop culture. Uh, this yeah. TV show about these two veterinarian brothers. They're called the Pratt Brothers. And they... Oh, of course. Called, called Wild like Kratts. A, uh, do, you know, yeah. do you know them? Uh, yeah, and so they, too, yeah. they, you know, they grab animals all the time. And so my kids want to grab, you know, they want to go out <laughs> in the yard and, like, grab a squirrel. And I'm like, please don't do that. <laughs> because, because they, you know, the Kratt Brothers are experts. And they've studied yeah. for a long time and they've studied mathematics and they've studied science and they've studied how to read. Um, and so when I want you guys to do your schoolwork is because I want you to eventually be able to grab the yeah. school in our, in our yard. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, you have these little chats with them to just really to show them, like, I have your best interest, even when, I, when, when you, I want you what? to do stuff that you think is not particularly uh, fun. And so yeah. one day I, I said to my kids, do you guys know why mommy wants you to do your schoolwork right now? And my four-year-old says, "Cause you, cause we want to touch animals." And I was like, yes. <laughs> "Like he, he is, he is connecting the dots." Yes. Um, and so, you know, I yeah. feel like like that. That's great advice of of you know the reason why, like you said, Trevor earlier, of like why do I why do I want you to manage your emotions? And you say, Chloe, of like it's got to be rooted in some goal. Uh, yeah. We don't want you to just we, we don't we don't want you to lose your mind because yeah. you can't do that in a, in a staff meeting, um, right. and so or 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 even more so like a healthy relationship with 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 your wife with your girlfriend you know uh, we want you to 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 be better than that yeah and it's important because like young people don't that's why young people ask why they're not asking mm-hmm. why for their own hell like they genuinely want to know why and like mm-hmm. adults get offended or like personally insulted sometimes when young people ask why like no mm-hmm. explain it to them it's your mm-hmm. again it's your job to give young people wise counsel mm-hmm. so and i think that as knowledge becomes more ubiquitous those why questions become all the more important because it's yeah. less about what i mean we do need to have certain you know amounts and buys of knowledge in order to you know make sense and make meaning of the world Mm-hmm. But there comes a point where students, especially when it comes to their teachers, this idea of, of you being this gatekeeper of knowledge is kind of a joke. Like, you aren't the only person who knows this thing. I can yeah. go on the internet and look mm-hmm. it up. And, and your job as, a, as an educator is just to contextualize that journey, to connect that journey, to put a, a, an emotional uh, and re- relational face onto mm-hmm. it. So I, I just think it's a really interesting idea. And I kind of feel like uh, in a lot of our work, we talk about the importance of metacognition. Um, thinking about your thinking so you can uh, learn better and and it really sounds like you're sort of advocating for like an an emotional and a personal Mm -hmm. metacognition um, where it's not just thinking about what have I learned today what have I felt today and Mm -hmm. why did I feel that Um, Mm -hmm. so I don't know I'm I'm kind of thinking a lot about that that importance of those why questions Um, what are some ways that you kind of address and consider those why questions in theory of enchantment uh well I mean I do you have any questions specifically that you are interested in? Like any why questions specifically that you're thinking about? 
I guess what I'm kind of thinking of, and, and um, from what I've seen in your, in your work, uh, it's, I could really see it hitting with secondary kids who yeah. are students in my, in my personal experience and opinion, um, see SEL stuff as kind of like contrived and patronizing. <laughs> um, yeah. And they, they are, they like feel like you were treating them like elementary schoolers, even though honestly, secondary students are oftentimes the ones in more need. Yeah. Um, of this because they have layers and years of these issues. So I guess yeah. um, to, to put a finer point on that question, um, how do you sort of approach SEL not as as a as a means, like oh we, we mm. need to be good with our feelings, but as an end uh, to your point about right. finding and discovering that sense of self. So yeah, that's a great question. So I think self knowledge is a lifelong practice, uh, and so it doesn't begin and end with theory of enchantment. It's something that one needs in order to be wise <laughs> quite frankly um and so um i think we talked about this previously but there's a lot of analogical reasoning in the theory of enchantment so like the idea is that the idea is that by by students coming to grips with the fact that the pop culture that they gravitate towards actually has incredible things to teach them they will start to notice exactly. these lessons mm -hmm. in pop culture in general over time and then they, and then they will be able to apply those to the critical questions that they're asking and so and so in that sense the theory of enchantment and i'm thinking of this out loud right now live uh the theory of enchantment <laughs> is like it's like um it's like a meta practice right because like once you go through the full course then the idea is that hopefully you'll just apply the way you learn things to the questions that the future, the questions mm. that you'll have in the future, which you will ine inevitably have. Um, so in mm. that sense, it will become a, hopefully like a positive self-fulfilling prophecy. It's, it's a Joseph Campbell-esque sort yes. of circle, right? As you guys go Joseph through that Campbell. journey, you return and then there's a new, there's a new, there's a new task. There's a new, there's a new journey. There's a new, which is why I have to say, I think I thought I was like when COVID-19 hit, this is interesting. So when, as soon as COVID-19 hit, I started meditating for an hour every day. Wow. Because because I knew, I knew. Mm. <laughs> I was like, mm. okay, the world is now going through an experience in which for many cognitive dissonance, they're, they're experiencing cognitive dissonance for the first time. Um, mm -hmm. And cognitive dissonance is terrifying because it basically is an indication that the way in which you thought the world worked is actually not the way the world works, which means that you have now been confronted with chaos. And mm. we as human beings don't do well, typically. No. <laughs> we are no, we don't. Confronted with chaos. And so, again, this goes back to the primary objective of the theory of enchantment, which is to teach people how to navigate the human condition. And the human condition is always either full of chaos or um, under threat of being affected by chaos. Um, so yeah, so in that sense, it's a long-term meta practice because there's always another hero's journey that you have to embark upon. There's always a new challenge that you're going to be beset by. Yeah, uh, John Verveke, who's a, a cognitive uh, scientist and, and philosopher whose work I find really interesting, um, talks about the fact that our cognitive and our cultural grammar are breaking down, right? The, Ooh, the tools okay. that we had to make meaning and make sense of our world are, are no yeah. longer working for us. Mm -hmm. And the, the, now there are these like errant scripts that are running and like we're still using those faculties but in ways that are, you know, detrimental and damaging to ourselves yeah. and society. Um, and, you know, one thing that I really, uh, another thing I like about, about your work is how it, it does seem like it's offering like sort of a glimmer of, of hope in these times that we have, that we can sort of <laughs> yes, have a I new so. restorative cultural moment, because that's, you know, one of the things that, you know, I worry about is, you know, as we're de deconstructing and dismantling these, these systems that need to be dismantled and destruct, um, destroyed, I I'm thinking like, so how, what does it look like to rebuild? Like, yeah. like, like where, do we, where do we take the movement from here? Like, what does that look like? Right. Um, so can you talk a little bit about how, um, you know, we, we can, through the theory of enchantment, we can come to know ourselves, we can criticize, but we can also sort of build something. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's that's a great, great, greatly asked question because the the way in which I think we build something is uh, is through love. And so, like, I think love is the moral ethic that has to guide the movement. Um, and that is what will make the movement holistic and sustainable. Um, otherwise, it'll just be, like, just, like, switching around players in the same systemic 
or systemically destructive system um, as opposed to an actual revolution of the spirit. Um, so as I said, theory of enchantment is really like a practice, uh, teaching you the practice of love. Um, and I think that, that the way you would apply it, for example, in, you know, if we, were, if we were to bring it to talking about some of the issues that we're facing right now in our country. So Theory of Enchantment has a newsletter that goes out every, every week. And this week's newsletter was about uh, The Lion King. Um, so I teach The Lion King uh, in, in its entirety in the Theory of Enchantment coursework. I use it to teach uh, par partially about self-knowledge because Simba has to actually understand the self he has to come to know himself right he has to understand that he has to understand the fact of mortality which is something that he doesn't quite get as a kid um, um he has to learn stoicism and how to sort of manage but really for in a rooted in a good objective manage his emotions um and not overcompensate for his imperfections and all these things but one of the most important teachings of the lion king which is why we gravitate toward the lion king as a society is um, it's teaching on the circle of life. And the circle of life is a concept that actually derives from many, uh, many like, like what, what are considered to be, you know, religious texts. So the circle of life comes, there's elements of the circle of life in Buddhism, there's elements of it in Taoism, and there are also elements of the concept of the circle of life in the three monotheistic faiths. Um, mm -hmm. But if you remember, how this comes up in the lion king basically mufasa has to have a talk with simba about like the way the world works and the delicate balance and how we're all interconnected and he says all of us are interconnected from the lion to the antelope to the grass mm. uh and then simba goes this is a why question right <laughs> <laughs> here we go simba goes but dad don't we eat the antelope and then <laughs> and then mufasa says yes son but let me explain when we die, our bodies become the grass and the antelope eat the grass. So we are mm. all interconnected in a delicate balance. And so mm. then the question becomes, okay, so how do we take that lesson and apply it to our current moment um, mm. and, 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 and try to make people or teach people to understand that like what I do affects you, what you do affects me and so on and so forth. It's, you could, you could, you know, you can see how exponential this could get when you really look at how interconnected we are as a nation. And so, for example, when we're talking about this question of police reform, which is obviously one of the major topics that we're discussing right now in the country, it's like, okay, so how do we, how do we approach that question with the understanding of a circle of life, with the understanding that we are all deeply interconnected um, as human beings and as citizens in this nation? Um, so, so if, if what I do or don't do has an impact on you, and if what you do or don't do has an impact on me, how do we build a system that, that is, is cognizant of that, essentially? Um, and so we, we can't only ask the question, you know, how do you make sure, we, we have to ask both questions. We have to ask the question of how do we make sure cops are held accountable for misdeeds, for wrong actions, but we also have to ask the question, if a cop is experiencing PTSD because of things that he or she has seen on the beat, how do we build into the system a way that they can get medical, mental health treatment, mental health checkups, um, regular trainings with a therapist so that that can heal? Um, because because if, we do, if there's a gap in that, if we don't actually handle that, then what's gonna end up happening, and this goes back to self-worth, right? Always mm -hmm. goes back to self-worth if a person is carrying that baggage and is carrying those mental health problems without any recourse, that it is very likely that that PTSD will manifest itself in very unseemly ways on the police force, including police brutality. So you have to be able to um, approach it holistically, right? And if you understand, if you deeply understand that we're interconnected, right? In the sense that I've just, just drawn out and just laid out, I think then you be can begin to build a system and a vision for the future that honors the interconnectedness of us all. Um, and, that, and that hopefully, um, I, guess, I guess, incentivizes behavior, uh, human behavior that, that indicates that we're aware of the interconnectedness of all of us.
And that's so powerful. It's, I feel like we live in the age of either or, and we need the age of both and in order to, to kind of yes. navigate all of the complexity that, that we have. Um, we can, and, and Dr. Sharon Brown, one of our other guests talked about this. She says like, how do you, you know, deal with some of the systemic and structural issues that are causing like generational trauma? Well, mm-hmm. you, you dismantle those systems, but also as an individual, you can practice meditation. Yeah. Um, you can practice breathing. And it's like, we need to, you know, it's, it's about self-discovery and, and writing ourselves, but also working to repair and fix these systems um, simultaneously, because as yeah. we heal and fix ourselves and as we heal and fix these systems, I, I'm super over, oversimplifying how that actually right. happens. But yeah. I, I, that, for me, that is, that is a, a message that I think has the nuance um, to match just like the insane number of, of overlapping crises and systems that we have kind of like um, running awry right now. I think, but I, I think to your point, that is how you reform and change the system. You, you do it by mm-hmm. changing it while simultaneously changing yourself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and working on the self and understanding the self and, and healing the self um, mm-hmm. and, 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 really understanding and, and forming a relationship with that sense of worthiness. Cause again, <laughs> without that, there's it, everything crumbles. Yeah. So, wow. What an incredible conversation, Chloe. Uh, I've learned so much and you are an incredible person. Uh, I just Thank have you. to say as, as someone much younger than me, I, I looked up when you graduated from Ben Franklin, um, just in <laughs> case we, we knew any of the same people, but man, does your mind just, impressive um so you 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 deserve uh all the uh things that you've achieved such as publishing in the new york times and and the blue check on twitter and all of those (laughs) things that you have uh that are super impressive i mean you you're just such an amazing person i have super enjoyed this conversation um where can people find out more what's your website or or where can people find your work Sure. So the website is theoryofenchantment.com. Uh, folks can uh, learn more about how the social emotional learning philosophy works. They can also download free resources. There's a resource on there. Uh, there's a Disney resource that teaches. It's a brief guide that teaches teachers how to use Disney to teach social emotional social emotional learning in the classroom. Yeah, um, I know. I know a lot of teachers <laughs> I work with that are going to immediately download <laughs> at, at the end of this episode. It's like That's a great. it's like a brief glimpse into the full theory of enchantment course mm-hmm. to see how the philosophy mm-hmm. works. Um, but in terms of also social media, folks can follow me on Twitter at cvaldery or theory of enchantment. Um, Instagram also cvaldery theory of enchantment. Yeah, we really, we really appreciate it. Thank you for coming by and dropping uh, a lot of wisdom on us. My brain is going to be gooping out of my ears for a while <laughs> as I try to unpack all this. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Really enjoyed Thanks the conversation. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Conceptually Speaking. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and are coming away with a stronger grasp of the concepts and mental models that help us understand our world. If you like this podcast, feel free to like, comment, or subscribe on your favorite platform. If you want to learn more or get involved, check out our website at edtosavetheworld.com and join our Facebook group, Learning the Transverse.